Cracking one open with Mike. And Elise. I'm Mike. And I'm Elise. Duh. (laughs) (laughs) And this is a show where we talk about brews. Reviews. And pop culture news. So what are we drinking this week? Oh, baby, we got we got a good one today. Yeah? Oh yeah, we've got uh one of our favorites from Lawson's finest Ooh. liquids, Sip of Sunshine IPA. Nice. What do you say? You wanna crack it? Let's crack it open. Woo! Nice crack. Oh yeah. I've heard that before. <laughs> Alright, so Just a little background on this delicious brew that we are pouring into our matching steins at the moment. As Mike mentioned, uh, this is brewed by Lawson's Finest Liquids. It's beautiful. (laughs) It's an American IPA. Now, technically, I think it is an IPA, whereas we have been under the impression this entire time that it is a double IPA because the ABV in this is quite high. Clocks in at... 8% 8% alcohol. Daddy like. <laughs> Lawson's main brewery is actually in Waitsville, Vermont, but Sip of Sunshine, as well as their Super Session series, I think there's a number of those, um, that is actually brewed in collaboration with Two Roads right here in Stratford, Connecticut. Close by, right next door. We love you. We do love Two Roads. <laughs> So from what I can gather, uh, Sip of Sunshine is actually, I mean, it's no surprise to us because for a long time it was damn near impossible to find around here. It's such a sought after beer, at least in the Northeast, that um, it made more sense for them to move their operations to another facility because apparently it was the, the demand for Sip of Sunshine was actually limiting how many other beers Lawson's was able to offer from their main brewery has consistently high ratings across the internet, which again is no surprise to us. And from the website, the description says that this Le Poulin-laden Indian Pale Ale is packed with juicy tropical fruit character and bright floral aromas with delectable layers of hot flavor. So my question was, what the hell is Le Poulin? Do you know? I don't know. Would you like to teach me? I would! So according to hopculture.com, Uh, It is a powder that is commonly used now in IPAs because it helps to actually extract the flavor and aroma from popular hops like Mosaic, Simcoe, and Citra, which I see all the time on on beer cans as the the descriptors of what hops are included in it. Um, So what this powder does is it amplifies the flavor of the hops in the brew rather than making the brewers have to use larger quantities of hops um, because that could introduce astringent flavors and vegetative cone material. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a huge fan of the cone material in my beer. Vegetative cone material is actually um, one of the most unpleasant sounding names or words I've heard in a long time. (laughs) Doesn't really roll off the tongue. Doctor, what's wrong? I'm afraid you have vegetative cone disease. No! (laughs) I took a sip of it. I couldn't wait for you to uh, stop stop talking. Sorry. (laughs) It's too good. I like my my research for my beer. It's interesting. We all like your research for the beer, but also it's it's good. sunshine. All right. So what do you want to talk about first, babe? Uh, how good this beer is. <laughs> I guess let's jump into some uh, some news. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, well, did you hear about Apple's new plan for world domination? Only vaguely. 
or at least the start of it. There are plans that were announced yesterday um, in this huge event. Um, I don't know if you saw pictures, but they had Spielberg, they had Oprah, they had Reese Witherspoon, they had Jason Momoa, they had Jennifer Ann. It, it was nuts. So one of the big announcements was that Apple plans to uh, launch a streaming service complete with original programming with all those big names. Um, but for such a big announcement, they also managed to remain pretty vague about the details, <laughs> including what is it going to cost us? Question mark. There were no actual trailers for the content. It was just kind of like the flashes of different scenes with these big name stars. So once again, I think they're just relying on Apple Sheep being Apple Sheep. Bah. This is recorded on a MacBook. <laughs> I'm looking at my iPad, and I have my iPhone right next to me. I'm part of the herd. (laughs) Also, what is interesting, and may or may not be a coincidence, is that just ahead of this big announcement from Apple, YouTube managed to uh, slip in a just uh, under-the-radar canceling two of their original programs which has a lot of people wondering if they're going to axe it altogether because um, the news broke a a little while ago, actually, that they stopped taking pitches for high-end dramas and comedies. So that's not looking too good. YouTube's not really the place that people go for dramas, long-form scripts. They go there for short-form media. True. Um, Short web series would work on YouTube, maybe. Mm -hmm. But even then, that's kind of more Vimeo's thing. People don't go to YouTube to look for... I don't want to say creative content, because there are a lot of YouTube creators that put out creative content. Oh, yeah, for sure. Just not story-based content, long form. They're not going there for TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like Cobra Kai. I was just going to say, they're actually <laughs> in negotiations for season three right now. And that's good. And that's only a half hour. And I think anything longer than that definitely not for you is not for YouTube. That's true. I mean, YouTube is the home of the viral video, right. you know. And with everybody else going out, Warner Brothers is going to do streaming media soon. Again, very vague. Yep. Disney Plus... We know what it's called. We know their plans. They're filming shows like The Mandalorian, which I'm pretty excited about with Pedro Pascal, which mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty pumped for that. But again, with Disney Plus still, you don't know prices. You don't know exactly what it's going to be like, mm-hmm. exactly what services you'll stream it on. Can I watch it on my Xbox, PlayStation 4, my Roku? Can I have to get a... I would like, hope with our array of sure different we'll, consoles. We'll have numerous we... ways to get it. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like, and we will get it. But the whole everybody turning into a streaming service is a problem as well because what it's going to happen is going to everybody's going to run to a cable package or mm-hmm. there's going to be some kind of cable like entity yeah. that is going to absorb things like Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, Warner Brothers and get it all in a convenient package. Hey, then, I've heard of that before. Yeah, we're all back to cable television. And TV yeah, again. it's just I feel like it's just a constant ebb and flow of like everything divides and then everything ends up back together. Yeah, everybody wanted a bigger piece of the pie, so they split off from Netflix and Hulu. Yep. And trying, everybody's trying to do their own thing. And none of these are actually benefiting yeah. the consumer. <laughs> Which <laughs> it, is it amazing. Was, it was all in one place and we yeah. can all pay one cheap price, but that's not what they want. Yeah. They want more money and it's a monthly fee. They, money, they money, make you, money! Uh, it's a true. subscriber slave. <laughs> TV as a service is the same I talk about on Two Player Brothers, the other podcast I do, mm-hmm. about video games as a service, and now TV is... TV has always been a service, like cable, but mm-hmm. even more so now you subscribe to each individual provider of content, just like cable, but more expensive. <laughs> but split between convenient 3 to $7 packages every month. Yeah, very convenient. Mm-hmm. So, that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> is there anything you'd like to add? For the Apple TV streaming? No, just to... In general? Yeah. 
On our, on our podcast? No, I'm good. Ah, uh, yes. Actually. Got some news. I do. Apparently, not too long ago, filming began on a movie I'm very excited for. A certain Bond. James Bond. Ding, 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 James Bond 25 started filming uh, when this is being recorded, I believe today, Yep. Uh, in Norway, in the forest, which I guess some locals aren't very happy about because it's a protected forest and there's explosions going off. Oh. But screw it. It's James Bond. Burn that forest to the ground, James. I love how they're always numbered. Well, they it's don't. Bond 25. It's Bond 25, but they haven't announced, usually before they even film, mm-hmm. they do a huge announcement party for it, which um, they have a whole press release. They bring in the new Aston Martin or whatever the car is going to be. They show mm-hmm. off the Bond girl. They show off the Bond villain. They show off the logo. They display the title. So right now, this is under the working title Eclipse. Okay. But a lot of things have working titles, so it doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's going to be. I'm sure they'll announce something. If it bro- news broke about the filming, which could have been, you know, secret, they didn't want anybody to know yet about the major filming. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this week we'll get a big announcement. James Bond 25 is actually directed by Kerry Fukunaga. I hope I'm saying your name right, sir. <laughs> if I'm not, I apologize. He is actually an American director, and I'm not sure, but if my James Bond knowledge serves me correctly, mm-hmm. and usually it does, he is... The first, or at least one of the only, non-European directors to direct a James Bond film. Okay, yeah, that would make sense to me. I mean... Of course, he is um, most famous for... uh, He wrote It, but he's most famous for writing the first season of True Detective. Oh, wow. Um, That's really what got him his his real fame and stuff like that. So it'd be really interesting to see his more serious kind of gritty take on the material. Mm -hmm. Because James Bond always works best, I think, novel-wise as a gritty material. And Daniel Craig's... James Bond definitely works best. Absolutely. Casino Royale is one of my favorite movies of all time. I don't care what you think. (laughs) I think it's fantastic, and it it was a great adaptation of a book. With the book being so short, it really made it its own thing, but never strayed from the, I think, the the soul of the novel. And I think Daniel Craig is the best interpretation of the novel version of James Bond that we've seen on screen. Mm -hmm. And I really hope he ends on a high note. Yeah, because the James Bond, his movies have been very iffy. Casino Royale, amazing, like I amazing. said. Amazing. Quantum Solace. Me. Eh, coming after C- Casino Royale. Yeah, so, Casino oh, Royale would follow. be hard to follow. In terms of some of the other sillier James Bond movies, it's still good, but it's nowhere near Casino Royale. Skyfall is another Excellent. fantastic, fantastic film. And then Spectre is... Uh, yeah, it's... Spectre was a huge, huge disappointment for me. But hopefully this one will turn it around. It's probably going to be his last film yeah. as James Bond. I'm sorry as we got this far. He's one of the longest serving James Bonds, just under Roger Moore. This would be his okay. 14th year as James Bond. Wow. Actually, I think he beat Roger Moore, but he doesn't have as many films as Roger Moore. Roger Moore has seven films, mm-hmm. and the reason that is is because Sony Pictures had its issues back in the day. I believe it delayed Quantum. Might have delayed Skyfall. And then now things have been delayed again, trying to find who's going to write this new one and who's going to have the rights to distribute uh, distribution of James Bond. Mm-hmm. But now we're finally up and running. Daniel Craig's last one, so... You know, in one year's time, get ready for the uh, betting and all the speculation as to who will be the new James Bond. Idris. Uh, I think he's too old now. No. Yeah, he would have been a good James Bond, though. Yeah. So that's my contribution to our pop culture news. Pop culture. So I want to backtrack just a tad. Okay. Uh, You said that he'd be entering his 14th year as Bond. 
I believe so. Might want to redo that math because we started dating 13 years ago in Casino Royale. But he would have filmed it the year before. Uh, all right, all right, all right. Bond. Technicalities. It's how long you serve as Bond. All right, that's acceptable then. <laughs> so my next piece of news is something near and dear to, I would say, both of our hearts, but more so yours. <laughs> I think so. Um, so a few weeks ago, you may know that Bill and Ted 3 Face the Music Excellent. was announced. Excellent. Um, <laughs> it's set for a late summer release next year, uh, August of 2020. And then yesterday, it was announced that William Sadler will be back as death. All right. <laughs> so I thought you'd enjoy that little tidbit. And I'm shocked that you didn't know it before I did. I didn't know that. I didn't read anything about that. But <laughs> I'm really excited. Bill and Ted, by the way, everyone, is um, one of my favorite comedies of all time. I think it's right there under Ghostbusters. Uh, That's Bill pretty high one, up there, folks. Yeah. Bill and Ted 1 and 2, both fantastic. And the writers from the first two, the creators, are back again for the third one with Keanu and Alec Winters. So that's something to look forward to for sure. Station. So, shall we move on to some reviews? I need a sip of my beer first. That's fair. A sip of my sunshine. sunshine. So, for once, our first two reviews, we both actually watched and completed these. Yeah, shocker. I'm I'm That's not going to happen very often, just uh, setting some realistic (laughs) expectations. This might be the only time both of us have completely seen the other thing that we're going to talk about. So, first things first, let's talk about uh, Russian Doll. Russian Doll. Natasha Leone, awesome. Love her. Um, I vaguely remember watching her back in a few movies in the early 90s. Um, just because she has such a distinct look, I don't really remember the movies. Um, but I'm a huge fan of her in Orange is the New Black. She is an excellent character in there. I have to say her character in Russian Doll, Nadia, is... Not that far off. She might be one of those actresses that mostly plays herself, but it works. If that's her real life personality, it's a very distinct yes. personality. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I, I don't watch Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. I didn't think at first I was going to like it. I, I mean, I heard great things and I did like the trailer, which is why I was interested in watching. But yeah. when I began, the characters that are introduced are very woke. Yeah. And not that I mind that. But I do mind when they play it off as like a get on my level kind of wokeness mm-hmm. in their lines and their dialogue. And that's all they are, are sounding boards for these statements, which human beings are not that way in real life. No. Very, or very few of them are. <laughs> Thankfully. But that goes away after the first episode. It's mm-hmm. like they try to land a couple of those jokes, which I think w- w- didn't land for me. And then I think after episode three, though. That's dangerous, though, to throw those in there so early on and potentially alienate the viewership. I think coming off of Orange is the New Black, a lot of their, I think a lot of, they assume a lot of their viewership really wants that. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think they maybe anticipate getting a lot of male viewers, which is a shame because, after, like I said, after episode three, this show really takes off. Yeah. Not just in a comedy kind of way, but in a psychological kind of thriller kind of way. Yeah. It, it messes with your head. It really switches gears like a little over halfway through the show. Yes. It's one of those shows you want to go back and watch again and try to find every little detail in, which I think is really cool. Because mm-hmm. they did put quite a few very, like, major details that are very well hidden and i'll touch on that after we talk about the show a little bit more do you find some uh, golden nuggets a little bit 
some Ooh. Easter eggs. I mean, anybody wondering, yes, it does have a little bit of a Groundhog's Day feel, but it's not quite played for the laughs that Groundhog's Day is. The comedic, yeah. It, while it is a comedy, the laughs aren't in, well, some of the laughs are in How She Dies, but <laughs> she doesn't go like through, oh, I'm going to die on purpose, or I'm going to learn piano. The yeah. entire thing is very straightforward. I want to learn how to stop this. Yeah. Like, she actually gets super frustrated every time that she dies because she gets closer and closer to an answer, or she feels like she's getting closer to an answer. And you can feel that tension. You're almost as disappointed as she is when she dies, which I enjoyed that. Right. You don't get that sense of this is, I'm going to, okay, at first she freaks out and then I'm going to treat this like a vacation. You don't get that death vacation montage. She wants out. She wants out the whole time, which is an interesting parallel because later on you'll meet a character. Well, spoiler alert, we're going to spoil some things for you. Yeah, definitely. If you have not watched it yet, please do not continue. Skip ahead a few minutes. And then come back to us after you do watch it. Obviously, come back. We love you. (laughs) But uh, anyway, spoiler alert, Charlie Barnett's character, Alan, is kind of our typical Groundhog Day type character. Yeah. This upper crust kind of tight-knit character who then goes on this vacation and loosens up because he dies so many times. Mm -hmm. But he's an ancillary character. He's not important. He's incredibly important and almost becomes as close to a main character as you can get after appearing halfway on a show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's impressive how how well he... Integrates? um, Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And he is kind of our typical character. And then Nadia, played by Natasha Leone, her character is essentially there to change him, to turn yeah. him more into her character. Like, he, he had almost given up on figuring out what was going on until she was like, hey, like, this isn't this isn't right. This isn't real. We need to figure this out. Right. And the whole mystery, like I said, it gets it gets dark. It gets deep, which is interesting. very dark. And it doesn't it doesn't hold back at only 30 minutes a clip. Mm-hmm. It makes the show super watchable. Yes. Solving the mystery and everything ends on ends and begins on kind of a cliffhanger. You always want to go back. You always want to you you want to keep watching the show. This was built for binging. Absolutely. So one of the things I like the best about the show, obviously I like the show, but one of the things I like best was closer mm-hmm. to the end. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like the show is going to end on a cliffhanger. It does. And I got really upset because this show is really good, and it seemed like they were actually building to a very emotional, very worthwhile ending, mm-hmm. and it wasn't expected. And then it looked like it was going into typical cliffhanger mode, and then. And they flip the script again, and the show actually has an ending. Now, I read that they do have three seasons planned. Okay, yeah. But... It could have easily been buttoned up at the end of this first season. because you don't guarantee yourself a renewal. Yeah. Even on Netflix, which will accept anything, (laughs) they do cancel shows sometimes. So, the fact that this does have a, a wrap itself up, and quite nicely, while still leaving itself open for interpretation, I really enjoyed because it was a nice end cap to the show and didn't leave you on a, on a lame cliffhanger, mm-hmm. which would have been a predictable cliffhanger. Oh, extremely. Like, yeah. I, I would have been disappointed and, like, really... Yeah, I was getting, like, my stomach almost sank when that I was we were at the cliffhanger. Oh. When I thought that he was going to die, like, she failed her half of the, yeah. of the solution... And it looked like Alan was dead. That would have been like, so disappointing. That is such a typical cliffhanger ending. And then they flip the switch, the the script, and it ends correctly. Mm-hmm. And I was just really happy with the ending. So, I would agree. Russian Doll, we're going to give you some golden watch nuggets. Watch it, but watch it. So what do you get? If, what do you yeah, if you haven't watched nuggets? it already, then I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is from BuzzFeed, which I know you love, but they actually did have some really good points. That they stole from other sources. But continue, whatever, continue. Oh, probably. I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that they didn't. 
I'm not saying that they did. Um, so in, epi- in episode three, um, Nadia walks around with a cup of coffee and a container of watermelon, which I didn't notice, but that's way before we learn about her mother's compulsion for, for like <laughs> gathering watermelons. Um, so I thought that was a nice little detail. And then in episode one, uh, Nadia makes a big deal about Maxine calling her a cockroach. She's like extremely offended because Maxine keeps every time that she dies, <laughs> she brings it up again. You're a cockroach. You're a cockroach. And then in episode seven, Nadia describes this whole time loop uh, situation as a bug in the code. So could we draw from that that Nadia is the bug in the system there? Oh, she really is Ooh. the cockroach. Um, now, this one, I thought that you would appreciate this little tidbit in uh, well, episode eight is called Ariadna. And I I took four years of Latin. So uh, if I miss if I'm mispronouncing this, it's because it's it's all Greek to me. I believe it's Ariadne, <laughs> but whatever. OK, so in Greek mythology, um, this is the name of a Cretan princess. Mm-hmm. Um, she's mostly associated with mazes and labyrinths which is appropriate for this show, for sure. Um, she's the one who helped Theseus navigate through the Minotaur's labyrinth by giving him a ball of string so that he would be able to retrace his path back out of the labyrinth after he defeated the Minotaur. And that's the episode with Alan in it? Yes. Interesting. Uh, I like that. And then later we learn that, yeah, um, Nadia's video game that Alan claims is impossible is called The Legend of Ariadne. Ah. And then there's one scene where you can see that poster in the background. It's actually, it's really cool and like retro looking, but you can find that freeze frame online. Nice. And then this is, I totally missed this. Um, There are two unnamed characters that reappear a few times as different characters. The first two times they're customers at the bodega. And then the next time they are Nadia's coworkers that kind of give her a hard time um, in that meeting, the morning meeting. Oh, the the teller this time. Yeah. Kind of guess? Okay. Um, and then those were the same guys as the EMTs that picked up Nadia. Ooh, so are these characters... kind of ignoring and then mm-hmm. the teller, but like, what are they supposed to tell it? What are yeah. they... Yeah. So are these people going to reappear in season two? What was their significance in the first place? Like they, they maybe they know. Mm-hmm. They know like something that we don't. Or the afterlife that they're in or purgatory or whatever. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then just a, a funny little thing, the, the guy, the older guy who lives in, in her building, Rocky's coach. Yeah. Paulie. Yeah. (laughs) Paulie says very early on, he is kind of a throwaway line that women don't like to take the stairs. So that's that's a nice foreshadowing to all of Nadia's deaths on the stairs that I think that was, that was my favorite death of hers was just like the fear, the building fear of the stairs. Another uh, interesting little tidbit, which I also did not notice or make this connection, at least Um, both Nadia and Alan give horse their extremely sentimental jewelry. Oh, yeah, they do. Yep. So why is horse that important? Horse is the homeless guy. Yeah. The the one who loses his his shoes in the the, uh, shelter. Finally, and this is a pretty big one for the ending, in the final scene when Nadia joins the parade, there are actually two other Nadias walking directly past her in the opposite direction. Say what? Yeah. Once this is done, I'm going to fast forward to the last episode. I got to say that. <laughs> so the, those, are my, those are my fun little bits. Fun bits. <laughs> that sounds dirty. So what would you like to talk about next? You got a review for us? I think I do. Yeah? 
So there's another show. Again, two shows we both watched all the way through. One, two. Together. Go us. Well, actually, you missed one. Did I? So you gotta watch Wanted, because I watched that one oh, on my no. own. Oh, <laughs> no. Mission failed. But we both watched Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. One of their most NSFW shows that oh. they have come out with in a long time. How did every episode manage to have boobs or a dick? <laughs> Honestly. Uh, there was one episode that did not... Oh, the the three robot one? Mm, yeah, okay, two episodes that did not. Both had robots. The uh, three robots, mm-hmm. which was called Three Robots. Yep, that's why I said three robots. <laughs> and Blind Spot. The one with the cyborg crew trying to rob a convoy. Oh. So, Love, Death, and Robots is a show that is a basically an animated anthology show. Mm-hmm. Think the Animatrix, but with way more dick and boobs. It's created by... It's all standalone. You don't need to watch one to watch the other. Uh, but it's produced by David Fincher and Tim Miller. David Fincher is obviously of Gone Girl, uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, mm-hmm. Seven Fame... And Tim Miller, recent fame. Didn't he do a Bond? The Deadpool movies. No, David Fincher did not do a Bond. Oh. Anyway. Yeah, I'm going to cut this too. <laughs> I guess what they were trying to do was... Fincher and Miller were trying to do a reboot of the 1981 animated sci-fi film Heavy Metal, which I believe in and of itself was an adaptation of a French magazine. Whoa. With all these very adult situation comic books. Okay. If anybody remembers... Uh, Kenny's major boobage episode <laughs> uh, where he freaks out on uh, cat piss mm-hmm. and starts hallucinating major boobage. Uh, that was a riff on heavy metal as well because they were oh. all sci-fi fantasy kind of like rocker Mad Max style things oh, with a lot awesome. of violence and boobs. Okay, now I get the so, reference. <laughs> so I guess that fell apart and so Tim Miller and David Fincher decided to come up with Love, Death, and Robots. So a bunch of writers, a bunch of different uh, graphic and animation houses Submitted and, and made their own films and mm-hmm. wrote. Some of them are based on short stories and novels as well. And so you get these 18 very different films, all for varying lengths. I think the yep. longest one, though, is only seven, is 17 minutes. The shortest one is six, six minutes. Six minutes, yeah. So they're very quick to watch. And although they all have dick and boobs <laughs> and some of them a lot of violence. And swearing. And swearing. They're all very, like I said, NSFW. It's all very, like, hide your kids. But it's, it, they're mostly pretty good. They do vary in quality quite a bit because you're talking about very different films. Yep. But all the different animation styles, I, I really enjoyed the, the different takes on it. I liked bouncing from one thing to another. Yeah. Um, it was jarring, but it kept from it like fresh. From, like, hyper-realistic to fun and cartoony to, you know, yeah, your... some of the graphics in those things are just incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, in Sunny's Edge, which is the very first one, which kind of starts you off with like an idea of how how graphic, in terms of violence, language, <laughs> and nudity they get. Sunny's Edge kind of has everything for you there. But some of those renders are very good, and then you get to things like Beyond the Aquila uh, Rift, which the rendering that, was that fantastic. is amazing. And it's, it's very much um, a step up from the Final Fantasy film with Alec Baldwin as the voice, which was really not a great movie mm-hmm. but the animation was ahead of its time back then and that kind of feels like a step up from there i mean if the if you took a freeze frame of that mm-hmm. you would never know it was animated yeah but as soon as people talk and move you get that uncanny valley like something's wrong here kind mm-hmm. of movement some of them are amazing in the animation 
I think my favorite was probably the Aquila Rift. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a really cool story and ending. And Three Robots was pretty funny as well. Three Robots. Well, yeah, that was the first one that I watched. And I have a uh, perpetual soft spot for cats. So I love that one. <laughs> that, that, they were, then they're very different. Aquila Rift mm-hmm. is very serious. It's a very dramatic story. Very realistic animation. And Love, Death, and Robots, although the animation is computer animation is semi-realistic mm-hmm. it's also kind of cartoony it's yeah. more video gamey i also thought zima blue was a very good hand-drawn animated yes story and really spoke i to... didn't know where the story was going like that right. that was very interesting to me uh so zima blue is about a reclusive artist who gives an interview for the first time after 100 years and this guy is hundreds of years old mm-hmm. and he's been an artist painting these blue portraitures and and just monoliths everywhere in the galaxy. Yeah, but he started out small, and there was nothing to do with the Zima Blue uh, mo- motif yeah. in his art at first. Mm-hmm. He was just this amazingly talented artist, and then over time, he started morphing into, you know, he's changing himself. He I think he got a surgery in a different country or something rumor, to start... The rumors had it that yeah. he was getting surgeries yeah. to become more robot. And in the end, he, you know, he doesn't know whether he's human or, or machine, and he, you know, gives into machine life. That's just a really good story about art. And, yeah. And it's meaning to everybody. It's everything, but it's got its own meaning to art, which I thought was really moving and touching in, you know, a collection of, of shows where, you know, a dump monster keeps eating people <laughs> um, with a hillbilly. And uh, <laughs> you watch the thing about how many times Hitler can die. Yeah, that I think was probably my least favorite. Yeah, they weren't great. Aside from the one with the fish. The fish one just starts out okay. It has cool animation, but it just ends abruptly. So the, Yeah, the, the it feels unfinished. One, so the fish one, which is called Fish Night, mm-hmm. about a group of salesmen who get stuck in the desert and wake up and see all the, the ghosts of the old fish that used to be in this ocean, you know, millions of years ago. It has really cool animation. It's... Not bad by any means, but it is the only one whose story didn't have a message and just ends quite abruptly. Yeah, it it doesn't come around full circle. Right. And although they are supposed to be snippets, and and some of them do seem like smaller parts of a larger story, this is the first one that actually felt like maybe... um, It should have been continued. I I was left hanging. That they just cut it for time. Yeah. So that was probably probably my least favorite, too, just because it didn't end. Mm -hmm. Although the Hitler one was a little weak, too. Yeah. Now, what was the one with the um, the rookie robot and they go into battle and then he's afraid that the two others have died? I think that might be one of my favorite ones. Blind Spot, really? Yeah. Oh, that's the story. That's... It got it got me in the feels. That's okay for me. <laughs> it was. It didn't really get me in the feels. It was okay. Suits was good about the farmers and the cows and the cows. Yeah, and stuff that like was that. funny. I like that. And also very cool animation style. Very interesting animation style. I was also not a huge fan of Good Hunting, the one about the that takes place in early 20th century China about the boy who befriends a shape-shifting... Oh, the wolf. Uh, spirit animal, yeah, who's a wolf who ends up turning into a woman, who ends up turning into a robot. She yeah. wants to hunt men. I felt like I understood its theme. It just wasn't... It didn't convey it, didn't it very well. grab me, yeah. Right. I, feel, I felt like no one really learned their lesson at the end. Mm-hmm. The lesson was just men bad. <laughs> but it didn't it didn't pose any I mean again this is short form so you absolutely can set up a theme without a solution or a problem without a solution but I also feel like it doesn't serve the character none of the characters have a resolution in that 
Yeah. So at least give your characters a resolution, and I felt like it did not. Which is the same, although the story doesn't end abruptly, it's the same kind of character, abrupt character ending as Fish Knight. Yeah, okay. I can see that. But they're all very good, they're all very watchable. The Witness is kind of cool because of its twist. Yeah. And the animation style is very much like uh, Into the Spider-Verse, where it's realistic and comic booky and still video gamey kind of all combined mm-hmm. and it's almost like you don't know which one it is at any time so that that was pretty cool which is also the only one you didn't get to watch because you haven't watched it yet oh because <laughs> that's what i watched on my own before i knew you were interested again at the longest one being 17 minutes which is aquila rift which is my probably my worth favorite it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely worth watching all of these yeah, I don't know how long they are put together, but it can't be more than two hours. Yeah. And you can watch them. Watch it on your lunch one break. One a day for two weeks and you'll be almost finished. And I guarantee you'll <laughs> want to watch more than one. Yeah. So Love, Death, and Robots is definitely worth it. It's definitely different than almost anything you're going to see on Netflix or right anywhere now, right now. For sure. It's fantastic. Watch it. I think we got one more review for you guys. Uh, I think uh, Elise right Yeah, just right a little bit. It. I kind of just wanted to give a shout out to a podcast that I have been recently sucked into. Um, it's called Raised by TV. Uh, you can find it on all of your local podcasts. Available anywhere podcasts can be found. There we go. Um, so it's hosted by Lauren Lapkus and John uh, Gabris. Ga- Gabris, I'm not sure how to say his last name. I was already a huge fan of Lauren Lapkus. Um, she's on, you can see her on Crashing. She had a part on Orange is the New Black. Um, I guess she was actually on Big Bang Theory for a while. But the first time that I saw her, she was a panelist. And she made an appearance several times as a panelist on At Midnight, which holds a special place in my heart. Love that show. Points. <laughs> love Chris Hardwick. Love all of the the comics that it introduced me to, including Lauren Lacus. So, um, season two just started. the The premise of it is that both Lauren and John are in their mid thirties, and they are waxing poetic about the the TV shows that we grew up on, which is largely what you and I also grew up on. Anything from like the mid to late eighties through early nineties television. So for the most part, um, they have guests on and they'll reminisce about the shows that they remember the guests being on. And then they interview the guest about, you know, they, they give a history of, you know, what they do. And then they'll go into details of their childhood TV nostalgic moments and, and what was special to them and what really raised them. So that's an interesting perspective. The first episode that I listened to was Billy West. Uh, so if you give this up this podcast a listen highly recommend that episode it's what we grew up on i as a kid had no idea that billy west was so prolific he was he was basically a voice in every show that i watched you know yeah he's red and he's doug he's um roger and he the funny thing is that in this interview, he just slips into all of these impressions so seamlessly and obviously he talks about futurama as well I do love Missing um, Futurama. Yeah. Oh, it's it's great. The episode that I was listening to this morning um, was Yearly Smith. So she is, has a very interesting background growing up and she gets into that. And I never made the connection until I was a little bit older. She was in Maximum Overdrive, which <laughs> is a, um, a Stephen King adaptation. One of my like favorite early cheesy bad movies. <laughs> 
And she was like the annoying chick on that movie that I I was like, all right, you need to die now and then come to find out, hey, it's Lisa Simpson. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Raised by TV, absolutely worth a listen. I will maybe touch on it again as I get further into it. Very fitting. I thought that, you know, our audience would also appreciate this that same idea. Disclaimer, please don't listen to other podcasts over us. Listen to our podcast and then listen to other podcasts. And then podcasts. come on back. And remember, if you hadn't listened to that podcast yet and you loved it, you never would have loved it without us. <laughs> so that about wraps it up. I'd say so. All right. Well, I'm going to finish this sip of sunshine. I'm surprised I have any left and I'll probably pass out right after I finish it. <laughs> Although it is damn good. Thanks for joining us this week. And if you liked what you heard, subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Kraken One Open. You should also check out my other podcast, Two Player Bros, a podcast by two brothers who play way too many video games, where my brother Alex and I discuss all things video game related, and Forgotten Cinema with my buddy Mike Field, where we talk about films that, for whatever reason, seem to have been forgotten by most people. We talk about why we remember enjoying them, maybe what caused them to be forgotten in the first place, and whether or not it deserves a second shot. And a special thanks for our theme, composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Till next time, cheers. cheers.